Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Our guest this evening has had a long career in film and television, whose writing credits include The Manchurian Candidate, The Fracture, Any Given Sunday, Miami Vice, and uh, also recently completed an adaptation of one of my favorite science fiction books, Stars My Destination. Yes, I hope it happens. <laughs> Dan, I hope it happens. Uh, and just IMDb the guy, it's long, the list is long of what he's done. He has a BA in economics from Stanford University and an MFA from UCLA's film school where he teaches a graduate seminar in screenwriting every winter and he is now uh, the new co-showrunner of the Fox television series Alcatraz which is gonna be a hit uh, <laughs> He is with us tonight uh, to discuss his new novel, A Hole in the Ground Owned by a Liar. Please join me in welcoming Daniel Pine. I want to thank my colleagues on Alcatraz for letting me out of the cell. <laughs> and they're here. Um, uh, those of you who know me know that I don't like doing this very much, so I'll keep my remarks short. And so short that um, I've asked a couple of friends to perform one of the chapters of the book. So without further discussion, uh, D.W. Moffat and Eric Anderson will read chapter five. This will be a reading, not a performance. <laughs> Don't, don't get your expectations up. Does this, does this work? I'm currently appearing. No, just. <laughs> uh, can you hear? Okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe, wait, wait, wait. Maybe I should. Uh, oh. I, uh, yeah. Okay, so this is a, this is a chapter uh, between one of the main characters, whose name is Grant, one of the brothers who figure prominently in the book, who has a probation officer that he has to check in with for the first time. Grant? Oh, yes, sir. I'm Ken Lagfoot. Sorry about the wait. That wasn't bad. What? Don't worry about it. Understaffed and underpaid. Uh, follow me. You want some coffee? No, thank you. All right, we got some bottled water here somewhere. I'm good. Okay, you probably figured out we are not Jefferson County operation. We're a private sector contractor. More and more local governments are outsourcing parole and probation services for for-profit operations like ours. Sit. Thanks. So, how's it? I'm good. Damn straight, you're out. What? Out. Out. Am I right? Yes, that's right. First time in? Yes. Hard? Yeah. 
You don't want to talk about it. No, sir. Fair enough. A winner listens. A loser just waits until it's his turn to talk. Oh. Say felony assault, guilty plea, three years knocked down to 20 months, certificates of completion, anger management, and substance abuse. No issues inside? No, other than being inside. I hear that. You want to talk about the crime? I got mad. I hit a guy more than once. Whole thing just got away from me and... Drinking? No. Okay, it says here you were un under the influence. Yeah, well, that's a convenient excuse, but no, the drinking was an afterward. So what is the excuse? I don't have one. It was stupid. I was stupid. Think like a man of action, act like a man of thought. <laughs> Between us, the guy you messed up, did he deserve it? No. No? No. You didn't even hesitate when you said that? No. Come on. Categorically, no. <laughs> I, I see that you're from around here. Evergreen, yeah. Family? Brother. Parents? Deceased. Oh, right, yeah, that's what it says here, too. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was a while ago. Still. Okay, thanks. Uh, your brother's a school teacher. Yes. And you're planning to stay with him? Until I get on my feet, you uh know. -huh. You got a job lined up? Mm, no. Uh, I see a college degree here. Yes. Vassar? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The girls' school? <laughs> Co-ed since 1971. Connecticut? Poughkeepsie. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a weird sounding place, all right. How the heck did you wind up at a girls' school? They let me box. Hey. No, seriously, I was uh, Eastern Collegiate Middleweight Champion. No shit? No shit. Bachelor of Arts, it says here, good for you, man, and investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. <laughs> What'd you major in? Women's studies. <laughs> is, that a, is that a joke? No. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's really what I majored in, but I guess the joke applies. Uh, a lot of pussy. Yeah, there you go. Okay, Grant, okay then. Uh, you signed the contract of your parole, I assume. College degree, you read it. You understand we call the parameters, but I'll just go over them briefly. Stay clean, stay sober, stay employed, regular contact with me, no contact with the victim. You can't leave the state for 180 days without written permission. Don't let your victories go to your head or your failures go to your heart. The only difference between try and triumph is the word oomph. How often am I required to call you, Mr. Lightfoot, or do I come into town for office visits? Make it Ken, Grant. My, Mr. Lightfoot is my dad. And you'll be phoning me once a month for the first six months, unless we, you, got a problem, by all means, let me know, okay? Thereafter, an email, an email or a text will do it. Just let me know you're there, and I will contact you about a yearly review, and I would remind you that I'm permitted to show up unannounced from time to time to check on you and your environs. But... This being a for-profit enterprise, I carry a pretty heavy caseload, Grant, and you strike me as a one-off. So, you'd be doing me a big favor if I had to think about, if I never had to think about you again. If you're not part of the problem, you're part of the cure. You catch my drift? I do. You won't. Women's studies qualified you for any particular line of work? No. no, no, no. Gynecology? Uh, uh, 
Yeah, that's another funny variation on that rich double entendre you've already mined, Ken. What? <laughs> Nothing. What did you do before you went in? Yeah, taught some boxing to rich women, construction sales. I biked across Africa, backpacked through Asia, worked in a free clinic in Turkmenistan, a couple of winter seasons lift wrangling at Copper Mountain, summer camp counselor in Estes Park. You know. Follow your bliss. I don't think about it. I'm not career-oriented. Yeah, that sounds like an excuse. The only time you run out of chances is when you stop taking them. <laughs> Opportunities slide away like clouds. I'll keep that in mind. Plus, the job market's shit right now. So I'm told. And you got a record, and I'm not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, Grant. What I'm saying is circumstances don't make or break us. They simply reveal us. Don't let anyone make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. I won't. Make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> I will. You got a girl? Someone special you've been thinking about? Thinking she's been faithfully waiting for you to get out? No. Good. Because they don't wait. Typically. <laughs> God. You know, my old man would beat me like a red-headed stepchild if he had come home from, from Durango saying I was going to major in woman studies. Mine was dead, so, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I don't like getting hit. Right. Anyway. <clears throat> okay. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, any questions on your end? No, sir. Thank you. Well, good luck, Grant. Remember, a winner is a loser who never gave up. Wouldn't it more likely be a long-time loser? <laughs> Excuse me, what? Oh, good. <laughs> See, that was much more entertaining. <laughs> um, so this is a book that uh, was inspired by the fact that my brother actually did buy a gold mine, not on eBay, um, about 15 years ago in Colorado. And uh, I stole a lot of stories from him, and I stole a lot of factoids from him, but it bears no, re no resemblance to our relationship. Um, I'm kind of proud of it. It's got a voice that I didn't expect, um, that I hadn't ever done before. And um, I think I'd like to just read the prologue to give you an idea of where it goes. So this is how it starts. A small mountain airport shrouded in fog, dusted with summer snow. Visibility about 20 feet, but cold, but no wind. July in the Rockies, what the fuck? Is it safe to fly? Three businessmen in heavy hooded fur-lined coats waited, stamping their feet on the tarmac near a sleddy red Bell 206L3 Long Ranger helicopter just warming up. Stan Beecham, salesman, squat fit, gym sculpted, hair deprived, slicker than a nonstick pan, squinted up into the cerulean sky, tugged the brim of his baseball cap, and made a well-considered and thoughtful downturn of mouth. She's just ground fog, this soup, Beecham observed. Once we're airborne, it's blue skies to X marks the spot. But freak weather indeed. Couple of slides of close Colorado five. So lucky we got your whirly bird, huh? Unless you want to wait a couple days and chance there's a quick thaw and a frisky road repair. The Slocums. 
Paul and Saul, Pakistanis by way of Jackson Hole, Leadville, and Beaver Creek, with flawless walnut complexions and thick flapjack flat West Wyoming patois, didn't want to wait, no. Fraternal twins of a single mind, Saul looked at his watch, tag cure. Swiss avant-garde since 1860. The crystal was fractured, and Saul made a point of not having it fixed. He wasn't in really interested in the time, just dramatizing his irritation. <laughs> Is he always late? Yes, Beecham drawled, laconic. They say it's the surest sign of genius. Who, Paul asked sharply, who says that? The bell engine fired up, whining, high-pitched, its rotor blades whirling and warpling to life, a quartet of disorganized samurai swords drowning out any attempts at continuing conversation. The men stood, hand, hands in pockets, shoulders hunched, pricked by icy crystals whipped up by the helicopter's mad frenzy. A quarter of a mile away, out in the nether reaches of the empty Garfield County Regional Airport parking lot, 40-ish, Lee Garrison slumped in the front seat of an old classic black Chevy Camaro, and he was hyperventilating. There were band-aids on three of his knuckles and his forehead, somewhat diminishing how uncommonly guileless and almost boyish Lee really was. He took a brown paper bag off the seat beside him, shook it out, and jammed his face into it to settle his breathing, but all the while giving him the ungainly, turtled posture of a gluehead sniffing, gluehead huffing easy off. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh. Lee shouldered the door open and lurched out, unfolding himself in the car awkwardly and yanking an old black briefcase off the back seat. He balled up the paper sack and sucked in the cold, thin mountain air. He wore the same fur-lined, fur-trimmed winter coat as the Slocums, a testament to the twins' foresight and perennial devotion to end-of-season ski-wear closeout sales at Dick's Sporting Goods in Longmont, and some sooty fleece-lined rubber boots he'd found in the front closet at home but didn't think were his. His feet scudded around inside him as, as he came running across the tarmac to where the three men were waiting for him. Wind from the flight-ready helicopter rotors were whipping their parka hoods, flogging Beecham's lucky sky, sky socks cap and tangling Lee's uncombed mop of hair. Where have you been? Beecham's lips moved, but Lee couldn't hear him. Blah, blah, blah. Lee smiled and they all shook hands and traded pleasantries, lost in the turbulence and got into the Bell, Bell Long Ranger and, like a miracle, Lee thought, it lifted skyward. Science rules. In less than a minute, they were above the fog and the famous liquid blue, sunshiny, seemingly limitless Rocky Mountain sky yawned above them, dwarfing them. Western slope thermals rocked the chopper like a roiling ocean waves. The men bore east or due east under that bleached canopy, following an intermittent dark ribbon of Interstate 70 as it snaked through high country calicoed where the fog cleared with conifer forests, low slate clouds, and drought-scarred plains. Lee gazed down on the badlands beyond book cliffs and rifle gap and remembered his merit badge survival hike for scouts, seven days in the wild with a knife and a bedroll and a box of matches. He lost six pounds, eight pine needles boiled, sought shelter from an electrical storm in a cave on the banks of the Green River and surprised a fellow survival pledge getting blown by Mr. Pilgrim, the assistant troop leader. Pants down, chapped asses, sad. Lee never told anybody, passed survival and became an Eagle Scout. Mr. Pilgrim died of some kind of cancer and the survival pledge was now a family values conservative assemblyman in the Colorado State Legislature. Third term. How's it feel to be a rich man, Lee? 
Lee looked at Beecham, riding shotgun beside the pilot, and took a minute to assemble the individual words, make sense of them. His mind was thick, leaden, his heart was pounding. Lee was mashed three abreast with the slocums in the back seat, the black briefcase in his lap, sure that they could feel his heart too, pounding, and it would give him away. I wouldn't know yet, he said. Saul Slocum assured him they'd wired the money to Lee's bank first thing that morning. Probably put a 10-day hold on it, though, Saul's brother opined darkly. Beecham laughed. A 10-day hold on a million bucks. Yes, sir. Ain't that hysterical. They clear your check overnight through the Federal Reserve, then get to use your million bucks free for nine days. Banks suck. <laughs> Lee squirmed. I'm hot. Understatement, Saul observed, from a man sitting on quite possibly the biggest gold strike since Cripple Creek. I would say you're boiling, sir, Saul added. I can't breathe, Lee said. Beecham, a joke. Want me to open a window? Uh, no. Um, you know what? Let me just, yeah, if I could just... Lee unbuckled his seatbelt and tried to stand up. The pilot glanced back. Sit down, sir. Air. I need air. The pilot let the chopper veer as he turned his whole body and reached back with an arm, grabbing at the empty space around the moving Lee. Sir, I need you to take a seat. Lee stepped on feet, groped for the door handle, clamoring over Saul Slocum. Icy thermal winds slapped them hard. Beecham yelled. Lee threw his briefcase out the open door and followed it, head first. <laughs> Those remaining in the helicopter saw a black tumble of a man dropping away from them. Coat blown up, flapping, arms windmilling as if to fly. A fluffy bird with a thin Gore-Tex wings and a briefcase. Smaller and smaller plummeting into the soft white fog. For a long time, nobody in the cockpit of the Bell Long Ranger said anything. The helicopters spun in stunned circles. Sunlight glowed off the slut red canopy and trim, giving them all a hellish glow. Jesus, Beecham said finally. Hello, Lord God in heaven. And he threw up. <laughs> That's all, thank you. <laughs> uh, are there any questions? Yeah. When did you become Vashel Lindsay? <laughs> recently, very recently. Oh, that's a compliment. Thank you, Charles. Yes, Nathan. I got a, a question about moving between novels and screenplays and uh, teleplays. Oh, God. And, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I was really interested because when I read 29 Palms, I was, as I told you, like really impressed that I didn't feel I was reading a novel written by a screenwriter trying to get a movie made. Thank so you. I really like that. Um, I really like the, I mean, I, I like this, the beginning of this too, and I, but I was struck that the prologue, unlike the rest of the beginning of the novel, the prologue is very screenplay-like. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that was intentional on your part. Yes. It was, okay. Yeah. yeah. I keep, I, I really, I have this sort of, I have this fantasy that I can take what I have learned in screenwriting and television writing and bring it back to storytelling, to prose storytelling. And, you know, it's a work in progress. But I, I, like, I like writing screenplays. I think that it's, it, there's a poetry to it. And there's a, there's a concision to it that you can't do anywhere else. And I like the 
immediacy of it. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, it felt like a great way to sort of launch the story out in the same way that a movie kind of hooks you and pulls you in. Um, I like that. I mean, I, I enjoy doing that. So, so, and since I know it, <laughs> um, it's easy for me to just kind of do. Anybody else? Okay, good. <laughs> thank you, everybody, thank you so much for coming. I know most of you, but thank you so much for coming. Um, and thank you, Skylight Books, for hosting this. Uh, and read the book. I hope you like it. Warm round of applause. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.